0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Levantex podcast. It's great to have you all listening. I have some amazing guests with me today that will highlight a couple of issues that we all want to know more about in more of a legal sense, and maybe they can talk about some political and legal relations. So as usual, I might ask some questions that they might not be able to answer, but we will touch on that as we go through. So I would like to welcome Lina and Zainab to our conversation. They are behind the Instagram page, The Law Yard. They are also on Twitter and other social media channels. They give us all the updates from COVID to what's taking place in Lebanon and the region. So Lin and Zainab, thank you for being with us today. Super excited. Thank you for having us, Sophie. Thank you for having us. I'm not used to having two people in two different boxes. So this is going to be a great start for us today. Hopefully we don't all end up talking uh, over each other. So. We're used to that. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, girls, I think what I'm going to do is just let Lean. Could you just introduce yourself to our audience? You know, tell them a little bit about you. Then we'll move on to Zainab, and then we'll get into some hot topics. Oh,
1: okay. So my name is Lean. I'm a law student at the Lebanese University. I graduated this year. Um, I'm also the co-founder and the co-manager of the Instagram page, The Lawyard, with my best friend, Zainab. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hi guys, my name is Zainab. I'm also a law student. I'm currently pursuing my master's at the
0: uh, University of St. Joseph. Well, everybody, that's a little bit about Lynn and Zainab. We know more about them now. Um, So, girls, I don't know who wants to take this question first. Um, I'm going to throw it out there, and uh, you can decide between you. Now there's so much going on. I think we need to have this discussion. Um, It's relevant. It's topical. It's on everybody's mind. My friend was literally just in here going, I do not understand what is going on in Gaza and the West Bank. What is happening? Why is this? religious um battle taking place or is it just masked under you know the form of religion and why is it all happening now why now you know things have been happening between israel and palestine for a very long time we're all very very much aware of this you know there are situations and issues especially like what took place in 2008 and 2009 mm-hmm. when gaza was flattened however you know there's always been a tip for tat, but this is actually quite um, outrageous what's taking place. So, I'm putting it out there to one of you. Could you highlight what's going on, what this means legally, and what maybe, uh, I'm not sure how much opinion you can give here being lawyers, but in your opinion, what is taking place? Okay, I
1: think we can go back to how it began. I will, I will take that part first. It all started uh, like two weeks ago, 15 days ago. Uh, when Palestinians wanted to pray in Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they couldn't because there were, uh, you know, the settlement forces uh, there and they couldn't let them in. However, they fought back and they were able to pray in an area called Bab Al-Amud after fighting. And this basically has been going on, like a few clashes have been going on since then. However, uh, big clashes happened a week ago or like a few days ago uh, in al Mosque, where they went in, the settlement forces, uh, and they started firing rebel bullets and tear gas, which is against international laws, like you cannot attack a place of worship and prayer. So if you want to go to the legal aspect, of course Israel is not respecting international laws. and. Uh, you know all the u n uh, resolutions o- over sixty resolutions uh, they were you know they, they weren't respected by the Israeli forces so uh, maybe Zainab can give us a highlight about what is happening in Gaza, why they are actually striking Gaza.
2: yeah, the thing is many people are saying that uh, Palestine and Israel are in conflict, but what's happening in Palestine is settler like colonialism. Military occupation, land theft, and like ethnic cleansing. So a conflict means there is like equal fooling which is not the case here. There is an active oppressor, which is Israel, and an oppressed, which is Palestine. And usually, like they usually attack uh, Al Aqsa. Uh, there's always like a link between Al Aqsa and Sheikh Jarrah. What's happening in Sheikh Jarrah? So when they started to steal like the homes of the Palestinians. Uh, a lot of Palestinians started to protest, like this got national uh, out- outbreak and international outbreak. So, what they do usually, their next step is to attack Al Aqsa to kind of like shake the Palestinians and say, okay, look, if you're not going to drop Sheikh Jarrah, we're going to attack Al Aqsa. So, you have to choose. And the Palestinians will always choose Al Aqsa. So, that's it. And uh, concerning what's happening in Gaza, nobody. Uh, like expected to escalate this much, okay? But when the attacks on Al-Aqsa escalated, Hamas really wanted to like strike back as usual. So we did not expect this to happen first of all in Ramadan,
0: and second of
2: all to happen this fast
0: and this big. Zainab, just on your topic of Hamas, they fired over a hundred rockets into Israel. Um, surely that's going to now initiate uh, a retaliatory attack, and it could be extremely, extremely dangerous.
2: Actually, the like uh, they first when Hamas first strikes, they strike like a Palestinian neighborhood by mistake. Okay, so that shows that, in my opinion, they're really like they're up against a big army, which is Israel, because it's funded by the USA. So they're up against the big army, and they do not have what it takes to strike back. So with the like, um, how do we say this? Uh, the backing of Iran, they got the weapons they needed, and they started to strike back with new weapons. Actually, I don't know, like the S H 5 something. I don't know. It's apparently brand new, and it's really uh like strong hence why Tel Aviv was literally mm-hmm. trending yesterday on Twitter saying Tel Aviv is on fire. So that's the thing.
1: They were able to go through the Iron Dome of Tel Aviv. This is why it's really important. And yeah. uh for the attacks also um I think it will give Israel an excuse to actually strike back and they will say yeah the attacked us first. So th- this is why we're striking them. This is why we're striking Gaza. Also, you mentioned uh, in your question, what is different this time? Uh, this time, there is no media propaganda because social media is trending for the favor of Palestinians and what is happening in Palestine and standing with them. You know, this time they have phones, they they have their phones, they became their weapons. You know, they can film everything. They can show really what's happening in Palestine and, you know, uh, all the details, all the You know, ugly things happening, we're seeing them for the first time on social media. So this is what's different.
0: So what you're saying to me is usually in the past when Israel did go in and do disproportionate attacks on both Gaza and the West Bank or a religious place in general, there wasn't enough coverage from the Palestinian side. It was always just sort of muted by the Israeli propaganda or the Israeli media, shall we say. This is what I'm understanding from what you're telling me now. So now we're in a situation where just a bit like the Lebanese 2019 revolution is that cameras um, and social media have become the weapon or the go-to weapon for creating awareness and and the understanding of what's happening on the ground. So uh, this is probably what you're saying to me is why it's blown up so much. So that's really interesting to see. Um, I think Palestine and the Palestinians have always had a way of getting their information out. But again, there were times where they were muted or international media weren't allowed into the border or to cross the border or into the hot spots or into the hot zones. And they were having to report from Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. And they weren't being able to interact with the Palestinians. They were sort of cordoned off and, you know, shut away. So um, I guess that, yes, very, very interestingly, and, you know, that's, that's definitely what's going to make it now. We do have a lot of influencers talking about it yeah you know, she I, I saw gigi hadid you know the model she has palestinian heritage and she's going on about this on her instagram um we have ahmed uh, Almeddin as well yes. he's talking about it um there was another model as well inam uh, inam hamam and uh, so, so people are really making a noise, which is something and I think international
1: celebrities, which is amazing,
0: which is something that the Palestinians didn't have before. Um, yes, maybe, maybe some people spoke a little bit, but they didn't really have this. You're not going to erase Palestine. That's literally what Gigi Hadid wrote on her Instagram. You will not erase Palestine. Yes. So, uh, so someone that's never been there um, and doesn't really interact with the country as much on the ground, um, it's really nice to see uh, messages of support like this. So. I think it's time to move on. I think we could we've discussed or we can discuss from a law perspective in that sense. However, I just want uh, one more question. Now there's this big discussion that's taking place of what is Zionism and you know why is this playing such a heavy card in what's taking place in Palestine. Now could you just elaborate on that for us because literally 5 minutes ago I was having a discussion and someone was saying to me, "Yeah, but Zionism isn't um, the main reason of the slaughter and the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians. But then you have people saying, no, but it is because it has a certain agenda um, that doesn't necessarily go with creating a harmony between the two countries. So if you could just highlight this for me one more time so people can understand the depth of what is taking place, especially when you use words like ethnic cleansing. This is a huge word. This is not a joke. This goes back to the Armenian genocide. This goes back to a lot of different... Se- the uh, things that were happened in Rwanda. There are so many huge topics um, in Myanmar, and now we're seeing it uh, continuously taking place in Palestine. So if you can just highlight that for me, that would be great.
1: Okay, I think first of all we should know what Zionism is. It's the uh, first. It was the the establishment, and now the development of uh, uh, Jewish uh, Jewish population in a certain nation, which is now Israel.
2: You know, so it's basically uh, an ideology and a nationalist movement.
1: Yes, exactly. So it began in 1948 in the Nakba, and it's still going on in this very minute. Um, you know, first, we should actually uh talk about the let's say Sheikh Al Jarrah, which was happening, uh, the case of Sheikh Al Jarrah. It's a neighborhood in Palestine, and you know, settlers just come knock on your door and Literally we make it super easy for everyone. This is how every city in Israel uh, you know was built. They knock on your door, uh, you just open and they tell you this is my house now. It's like this. You know, it's as simple as it sounds. They take over your house, they take over your belongings, your lives, everything, and they just settle. Literally, this is how it happens. Uh however, uh ethnic cleansing is a big word, as you said. It was used in the Armenian genocide and you know all the events that happened before. Um, what's different here is that people think that, uh, you know, Zionists really have something against Muslims only. But if you actually look, look around, it's just against Arabs and Palestinians that really do not want to leave and want to fight back. So, you know, there are Christian Palestinians who were forced out of their homes. It's not only Muslims, you know? It's not here a religious case. It's as you said, this is why we call it ethnic cleansing, because it's not really just against religion. So maybe Zainab, you want to add something about this?
2: Yeah, I want to add that religion does play a role here, because as we know, like uh, for the Zionists, they have the right to occupy Palestine and Lebanon and all the way across Syria. So they have like uh, a religious duty to do that, and it's their long time goal. That's what, Je- what that's what Zionism is trying to achieve.
0: So, would you say that not everyone in Israel is for what's taking place, um, and are not necessarily backing what's taking place? That it's maybe just a small few, but uh, an elite and powerful few that making these decisions on behalf of a country that is then uh, sort of pitting it against another um, set of people. Uh, would you agree on this statement that I just made? Yes, actually. Honestly, I personally would not really know because we do not know how
1: the youth now thinks, you know. But however, from the videos you see there are a lot of right-wing people who support right-wing parties, who are racist, xenophobic, islamophobic, so I wouldn't really know, like, honestly. Uh,
2: But I agree with what you said because uh, there are actually active activists in Israel that are completely against what's, ha- what's happening right now, and because they just want like in general. yeah exactly
0: like peace of two nations. I just want to uh, finally wrap this up with you guys. When you mentioned international law, Lin, uh, sorry, Lin, um, when you mentioned international law and how much this is breaking international law. I mean, they've done that for years and years and years. This is not not nothing shocking. They've been breaking UN resolutions with Lebanon uh, as well, so. Um, What type of role can the international community or The Hague or international criminal courts in this sense, what what type of role can they play? I mean, this is complete injustice. This is disproportionate use of weapons on um, a nation that is suffering and doesn't have the chance to retaliate. Yes, you do have Hamas fighting on that side, but Hamas is fighting an agenda that isn't necessarily... Um, taking into consideration what the population of Palestine is asking for. It's fighting for Iran, just like Lebanon suffers when Hezbollah takes moves on behalf of Iran, um, but in the interests of the Lebanese population and the Lebanese government. So um, again, Hezbollah is not the only one to blame in Lebanon. Uh, Again, (laughs) Hamas is not the only one to blame in uh, the Palestinian government. Uh, they've never managed to actually do anything for their people and have always just sort of complained and raised their hands and said this is bigger uh, bigger than us, we can't do anything about it. Okay, so if you're going to keep raising your hands and say we can't do anything about it, who can do something about it and what can be done? I think that's the question that needs to be asked here. Instead of this um, raising our hands and just saying, it's surrendering, to uh, the party or the force that is greater than we are? You know,
1: when we first became law students, we were uh, these people who wanted to change the world, who wanted, you know. uh, However, we discovered as we got into politics more and more that sometimes politics are stronger than the power of law, unfortunately, and the agendas are stronger than the power of law. You know, since. The international community now doesn't really support Palestine as much, unfortunately. I cannot really expect anything to happen anytime soon unless it's something like uh, cease the fire, like that's it, just stop striking each other and asking for peace and that's it. But you know, I don't think that something can, can be done on a higher level. What do you think Zainab? Zainab. Yeah.
2: Uh, actually, the the model I don't know if you know her Jessica Kahawati, She was uh, like she posted a post a few a few days ago on Instagram, uh, calling the United Nations. So the thing is that the United Nations has the right and can interfere here by uh, like stopping ceasefire just for the children and the like holy places. Uh, it can uh, file a report to the Security Council. But all this is really technical, considering what's happening on the ground, which is practical. So it doesn't really benefit much. And plus, if you notice that the United Nations did not like um, do anything until now, because it's hard, because as Lean said, politics is more powerful than the law. It cannot do something against uh, like the bigger power, which is USA, if we're talking clearly. So that's the thing. But I wanna add something concerning the forced evictions in Sheikh Jarrah under international law it could be a war crime. It's like it can be under this category.
1: Also, I wanna add something about the UN that the United States that pays three three eight three point eight billion dollars per year for the Israeli army, uh is one of the countries that have the veto, the right to veto. So uh, Anything that you know goes against their agendas can actually, they, they can vote against it and they can stop it.
0: So. Yeah. Well, you also have the fact that whatever needs to be processed through the United Nations is so much bureaucracy that it's, you know, time spent trying to file. Yeah, it takes a year, probably. So. Yeah. <laughs> time spent trying to file these reports, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are being killed in the process. So. I'm going to take this conversation in a different direction. I'm glad we spoke about this. This is a hot topic. It's taking place right now. Um, Everyone who's listening is going to appreciate your comments on this and um, all of the work that you're doing to highlight on the ground. So again, everybody, you can follow at the Law Yard for updates on what's taking place in Lebanon and across the region. Now, I want to move on to you guys' home state, somewhere we are all right now. Um, and that is Lebanon. So, a multitude of crises. We <laughs> sit and decide. You know, it's like it's like put them all in a hat. Where should I start? Pick, yeah, yeah. Pick them <laughs> out one by one. We'll play charades. So, um, I just want to. I just sort of want to narrow this down to two topics. Um, like I said to you before, but I want to start with the most interesting topic that has taken place: the king of Captagon, What this means for Lebanon. And um, it's international relations. I mean, now we've found that Saudi and Dubai do not want to import our fruits and vegetables. That is a huge market for us. I mean, in Riyadh alone, we have 7.6 million people. <laughs> We're Like, that's just Riyadh. It's like... That's <laughs> that's the capital. Yeah. That's, it. that's just the capital of Saudi. You have seven point six people, a million people. So I mean, imagine how many people our farmers can feed to be able to stay alive. So it's really a detrimental effect on, on, on yeah. our exports. Yeah. Um. That's one thing. And second thing is, I hate to say it, but Dubai is now buying its fruits and vegetables from Israel. So, Not talking, actually. Yeah, what is going on, girls? What has happened? Give me the details on the investigation for this King of Captagon. What was the agenda? What does this mean for Lebanon? And uh, what does it mean for Israel, ultimately, in the end?
2: Okay, I can speak I can about the investigation in Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, actually, just to begin with, uh, per the Lebanese agriculture minister, Abbas Murtado, Lebanon's fruit and vegetable trade with Saudi Arabia was worth around $24 million per year. So that's a huge loss from the beginning. Uh, according to the investigation, like the public rate shipment was hiding around 5.3 million pills inside boxes that arrived at the Jeddah port. So, the documents of the consignments indicated that the pomegranates were imported for internal Lebanese consumption and bear a certificate that say that it's of uh, Syrian origin. All right, so uh, uh, I read in a news article that a custom at the Masna said that the goods were inspected manually. They do not have the eligible machines to detect drugs, so they inspect them manually. So, like the shipment entered in stages, and they were collected in uh, in the town of Taneil, I guess, in the central of the car. So they were like reloaded into Lebanese uh, trucks to export them to Saudi Arabia as a Lebanese product, okay, in the name of the Cedar Company, which was owned by two Syrians, with a cover from a Lebanese person who was a major shareholder. All right. So after that. Like the head of the farmers, uh, like after the uh, Saudi Arabia discovered that thing and they banned, uh, the head of the farmers, uh, Ibrahim Tashishi, said that he was hopeful that the ban will be lifted soon. So I don't know how much uh, of this is true.
0: How easy was it for them to find this king of Captagon? You know, like uh, why why wasn't he on anybody's radar beforehand? Why did he manage to sort of execute one of the largest drug deals in international history, and no one had an eye on this guy before. I mean, is this coming back to your comment, Zainab, of having this um, canopy and cover-up of a major Lebanese player?
2: Yes, it could be, and plus the fact that this is not the first time that this happens. Drugs are always smuggled into Lebanon from Syria, or even like from inside there's, uh, like Lebanese jugglers. So that's not the first time it happens.
0: Lynn, what's your comment on this?
1: Uh, I want to add something that the Captagon king, the guy who's who called Hassan Baku, uh, he's actually close to many political parties and political figures, so he was probably most probably actually protected by them. Uh, and he was uh, to actually add more information about about him, he's uh, been like uh, involved in one of the biggest Captagon uh, operations in the world. 94 million uh, pills of capsaicin were found in Malaysia. They were on their way to uh, their way to Saudi Arabia. So this is what we know so far. And he was also actually involved in the kidnapping of two people. I'm not really sure about that. I'm actually just checking. Yes, uh, kidnapping a person and he wanted to hand him over to the Syrian security forces. So uh, and he wasn't really prosecuted for that. Uh, so basically, you know, and actually all of this. Drug smuggling and so on goes back to the Lebanese state that isn't really taking taking care of the borders and allowing everything to happen uh, really normally without really taking action uh, before uh, Saudi Arabia actually announced that they don't want to import anymore. Like, even yeah. now they're this, not
2: taking action. So. Uh, this plus the incompetence of the Lebanese state, like this is of clear. Of course. If yes. they inspect the
0: good, the goods manually, like what they should be having still machines. Does that? So I think what shocks me is the loop-de-loop that took place. I mean, we came in from Syria, we stopped in Lebanon, we repackaged in Lebanon, we went to Malaysia. From Malaysia, we were going to Saudi. Now, was this just a way to sort of cover up um, where the original source was? Or um, or is it usually uh, how we transport our goods?
1: no i don't think really transport our goods by taking them to another country then bringing them in, and then <laughs> <Yes>. you know <laughs> it's only for illegal goods, goods i guess so <laughs> uh you know i think it's always been like that for drugs and weapons and so on because you know some political forces would rather uh keep another country's name clean uh before their own and not political parties, maybe political figures
0: so yeah, it's pretty disgusting i think we're, yeah. we're all aware of what we're discussing and we don't need to highlight it they could have been the ones that just shut down my computer for no reason so probably <laughs> you're talking about us <laughs> we see you <laughs> is there anything else you guys would like to highlight that you think the population hasn't necessarily heard about in regards to this um whole thing that's taking place and what? we can expect in the near future, like, do we do we assume that this is going to carry on? Um, we can just use an example of Pablo Escobar and uh, the whole narcos trade that took place. I mean, that went on for years and years and years and the US were completely aware of it um, and did nothing about it until 1993 when they decided to go and kill him on a rooftop. So, <laughs> are we just waiting for someone to say, okay, we've had enough, we're just gonna come and shoot you all. I mean, what <laughs> what's going on here? You know. As we said in the beginning we have so many problems going on
1: like we don't know what to expect to each problem like are they working on a solution are they actually aware that there's a problem you know it's all very confusing we have so many things going on like like honestly i don't know but but i don't trust the investigations regarding Drugs and whatever, because I know they're getting to nowhere. At
2: least actually, at this point. like the Lebanese state has this uh, system. It's called "let it slide." It's Not a big deal, bro. Just let it slide. So they do yeah. it on
0: every case, every yes. case possible. So we're seeing we're seeing this taking place on the Beirut blast investigation. This is our exactly. next topic that we want to talk about. So before we get into into that uh, drama, and just one last question on this drama.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Is there, could Saudi or the UAE or anyone sort of um, hail in international law here and sort of create uh, a hoo-ha on this or like can can this be fought from outside of Lebanon where Lebanon will have to at some point uh, deal with what has happened? You know, I think
1: um, it's only probably when Saudi Arabia decides to actually take the Lebanese state court. Um, but I really doubt this is gonna happen. They're gonna solve yeah. it politically, like without going to international courts, because it's because, really a
0: hassle.
2: Because they have al Hariri here, so that's not gonna happen. Like it's not in their favor.
0: Yeah. So we might not get anywhere. Yeah. Well, nope. <laughs> okay. Next drama. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so it's been over. It's coming up to a year. Um, uh, Since 200 people were murdered, I'm going to say, by our political class, even though they claim (laughs) they are not responsible, they have some form of responsibility for knowing what the hell was on the port to begin with, especially since it was brought up in 2013, so there's no way of hiding this. So we all know the ins and outs of the foundation of this investigation, but things are turning. We had one judge kicked off the case for being uh, uh, too righteous, yeah, or being too righteous and trying to do his job. Um, We were put on with another. Um, However, he does seem to be bringing in and taking some statements. So. Um, it's over to you girls. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm going to start with Lean anyway to start to answer the question. What are your thoughts on what's taken place so far um, in the Beirut blast investigation, especially with the model up and the changeover of the judges? And do you think the judge that is in uh, in charge now doing his job or um, could end up getting somewhere? We did just discuss how, uh, well, Zainab put it very nicely, how the government likes to... Sweet things. Let it slide. And let it <laughs> yeah. slide. So how long are we going to let this slide for before we end up down a very slippery, slippery slope? Okay. Um, so, basically, first of
1: all, as we all know, nine days after the explosion, Judge Fadi Sawan was appointed by uh, the, the judicial council. Uh, however, Fadi Sawan was let off. They uh, didn't let him continue his investigation and they appointed someone else instead called. Judge Dharikbida. Dharikbida is currently uh, having investigations going on, and he actually mentioned yesterday that they are at a very uh, good stage and uh, they are going forward with them. So, however, we still. Didn't actually, hear. like,
2: uh, sorry to interrupt. A quick background on Judge Dharikbida. He's actually really clean. Yeah. Like everybody knows him. He has integrity. He's really clean. So we expect high of him. Tell yes. That like it yes exactly
1: so uh, basically he has been questioning some witnesses some people who might be you know involved in the explosion and who knew of the ammonium nitrate that were stored illegally probably at the port um so basically uh, so far we do not yet have a politician who was summoned for questioning after fadi Sawan, uh, asked the ministers uh, Ghaziz Aitir and Yusuf Finianus to actually uh, come for questioning, uh, and this is how you know the whole uh, conf- or like problematic of Judge Fadi Sawan should be re- wo- removed began by then. Um, you know, even though he had the full right to do so because at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, but the right to they said anyone. that we're gonna they said that
2: we're gonna remove him because he has like an interest in the case because. Apparently his house was destroyed also by the uh, explosion, so they used that as a legal loophole to get out and just like send him. Yeah, home. they they said it's a conflict of interest. We yeah, last was shattered. So big damage. And they picked that up like three months, four months later.
0: Yeah. I mean, you did have all of those protests that did take place as well underneath Fadi's house, where people were actually standing with him and uh, they wanted him to continue on the case. Uh, at Law with Diane as well, she highlighted yep. so many different things that was going on. Now, uh, Diane Asaf is a wonderful lady. Um, shout out. Yes, shout <laughs> yes, we love her. Everyone, I th- I think we all love her very much, uh, very very yes. much. Minister of Justice, Inshallah, one day. Um, <laughs> so. What? Where are we? What? How long do you think the victims um, have to wait? How long do the families of those who are murdered have to wait? Um, uh, we all know, I mean, I asked Diane this question, you know, can an international body come in and start to take care of this investigation? And she basically told me no. So if that's the case, I mean, w- are we just going on with this let it slide? I mean, how long are we going to be in this process for? Because I don't know how long the families and the victims will be able to put up with this. And what can they do um, to make sure that this investigation is actually taken and seen through till the end and people are brought to justice?
1: You know, I think it will take some time because all the work related to the jurisdiction in Lebanon is very slow, very, very, very slow. So uh, I think Zainab agrees
2: about this. Yeah, and the latest, like, coronavirus lockdown, like, they postpone things, even though they can still go down to, like, precinct or the judge's room and get an investigation, get, like, something out. But they're going to, like, uh, just say that, okay, it's corona, we can't go, etc. cetera. Like, they found the legal loophole. They're going like, to find something else.
1: And what the families can do is push for... Uh, The law of the independence of the judiciary, because this is the only way we can actually have a a good investigation, an independent investigation, far away from all the political agendas. You know, when you have independent judges, you have an independent, clean investigation, and we really can know the truth and who is involved and who is not. You know, we also need to know if we say Kilonyan and Kilon knew about the ammonium nitrate. Maybe not all of them. We need an investigation to know who actually knew about it. And who is really innocent in this case? But for example, the president admitted that he knew about he knew about the ammonium nitrate. Yeah. It. And also before, Prime Minister. Exactly. Angela. I was about to say that reports mentioned that Hassan Ijab also knew about it a few days before and he had a, a visit to the port to uh, you know warehouse number twelve that exploded. Yeah. This is what the reports mentioned. You know, they can deny it, they cannot. It's all up to the investigation.
2: But the thing is that these warlords are gonna gang up with each other, even though they hate each other, okay? Let's be clear. But they're gonna gang up in this case, so not, not any of them can go to jail or can be like put into accountability for this. And the, the parliament, the Lebanese parliament, actually helps that by giving the power to the judicial investigator to not have his decisions subject to appeal. So any decision he makes cannot be, like, forsaken. You cannot discuss it, which is another breach of the right of the two trials.
1: Exactly. Also, uh, as you said, gang up, we can take an example of how when Prime Minister Hassan diab was summoned for questioning, uh, Prime Minister Saad hariri directly jumped uh, jumped out of nowhere, and he said, uh, uh, the, "the prime you know, the Prime Minister is a red lion. You know, and it's yeah. it all goes back to the fact they're they're both uh, both Sunnis and you know you even don't... though they had a conflict before exactly they remember they weren't on
2: the terms. so they,
1: they're against each other and they go like um yes w- w- you know we team up or whatever they act all dramatic and it's just a questioning come on you know.
0: Well, I mean, if this was in England, I don't think any of that will fly. I mean, I'm half English, and if if you're called in for questioning, you're called in for questioning. But here, of course, if 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 if, if I'm called or you're called or Zainab's called in for questioning, we've got to go tomorrow. If we miss it, we end up in jail. So I mean, yes. there's no there, there, there's rights for some and rights for others. There's do's for yes. some and don'ts for others, and it's just very very wish washy and nothing makes sense. And as you said, Zainab. They're consistently looking for this loophole in whatever yeah. case it may be. Um, sorry, my cat's decided to have a conversation <laughs> with us. Plus,
2: <laughs> there is the fact that the uh, politicians here enjoy layers of immunity, you know, so yeah. the president cannot be questioned. Um, I think that we have parliamentary immunity. the However, the prime minister and the ministers do not have any, but, they kind of like uh, find an, an illegal one. loophole it's not yes. legal okay but they find it and then they use it to say that they have immunity but in fact they don't
1: yes uh, for like the member of the parliament you need to get an acceptance from the parliament an acceptance sorry from the parliament yeah that uh you can actually summon the member for questioning or arrest him or detain him or whatever and one last thing by the way there are around i'm not really sure of the number but there are like uh you know uh people who are still detained uh for the fourth explosion and they're probably you know not involved in any way they just work there and they're responsible there they can be or they can be not you know we haven't really heard anything of they them.
0: could be scapegoats they could just be exactly a way of saying we exactly. have arrested yeah. people. i think we've been on here too long so thank you girls um for highlighting these things for me and i think we will get back to you There's so many different things that we could discuss and go on for hours with, but I'm so happy that you guys are on the social media, you're highlighting all of this, you know, you're using, as you said, the ammunition of social media to be able to combat all of the fake stories or stories that don't necessarily have sources or credible information in them and uh, we i really appreciate that i mean it's the first thing i do every morning is law yard. what's happened today <laughs> <laughs> i got my dose of info okay i can carry on for the rest of my day before it all starts flooding in so um, again thank you so much especially you know during the revolution um there were so many different things going on there was like a battle of the media so you are always providing really just, really unbiased, you know, factual information. And as to future, you know, hard-hitting, inshallah, maybe one day judges, um, <laughs> I hope for the best for Lebanon since we have youth like you that are really determined to create these changes. On one last note, everyone who's listening, Levan X is a crowdfunded organization. You can head to the website, levanx.com and click on the donate button which will take you to uh, buy me a coffee you can donate (laughs) from five pounds or up so yes buy us all a coffee get us all going we all live in lebanon
2: (laughs) follow at
0: the lawyard on instagram and other social media channels for unbiased unfiltered and factual information follow levon x for the same thing so thank you girls Lean, Zainab, it's been wonderful having you with us today. Thank you so Thank much you for having so us. Was amazing.